You may have heard this chorus many times if you are a parent or have been a parent with young children in your home. I heard it even just coincidentally as I prepared this week many times. It's not fair. How many times have you heard that when you're doing various parenting tasks or something that you ask them to do? It's not fair, the children cry. You know, you're dishing out ice cream. It's, ne- it's always when it's Neapolitan ice cream. And you're trying to evenly distribute the, you know, the pink and the white and the chocolate, but no one wants the vanilla. Uh, and somehow it manages that in your distribution, you've given way more chocolate to one child than another, and they cry out, it's not fair. But it's not just kids. Uh, I think as adults, we never really graduate out of it. We just kind of change it or we, we keep it internalized. When you're at Woolies and the second queue opens up, and you've been waiting in that queue that whole time, and then everyone from the back gets to go into the new queue, and you think, oh, what? <laughs> it's not fair. Or you're in traffic, and you're that good person that dutifully allows people in, you know, that, are, that have taken the shortcut, and they've gone, you're on the main road, they've gone on the back roads, then they come to the street out in front of you, and you go, okay, I'll let you in, And then they pull in front of you, drive so slowly, they get through the amber light and you get pulled up at the red and you just think, oh, it's not fair. I was doing the right thing. You should have driven. Anyway, maybe it's just me. Perhaps a little bit more seriously, when you apply for a job or internally for a promotion and someone else pips you to the post, or someone else gets the job who's a blow-in, an outsider, who potentially doesn't even have the age or the experience, and you think to yourself, that's not fair. Or, even more seriously, perhaps a friend or a family member falls pregnant, and you've been trying for years, and suddenly they, on their first go, are able to have a child. You've been waiting and waiting And you don't want to say it out loud, but you think in your heart, it's not fair. I think we're all, and maybe it's just me, but we're all inbuilt with a sort of hypersensitive fairness indicator. Well, at least when it comes to sort of negative unfairness against us, right? But isn't it true how often we overlook all the positive unfairness that we receive and the generosity that goes our way? And we don't really feel the same sense of outrage or injustice, do we? (laughs) When we're the one that gets to go to the front of the Woolies queue. (laughs) When we're the one that pulls in, someone lets us in, and we sail through the amber light thinking, oh, glad I'm not stuck in that traffic. When we're the one that gets the job, the promotion, or falls pregnant, we think, oh, how nice, how good is this, how blessed am I? We don't feel the same level of outrage or injustice. But how are we meant to react when the world turns somewhat against us, when when things don't look like they're going our way, when others are blessed and benefit more than we think that they deserve, more than we think is fair? Well, this same dynamic is at play in a story that Jesus told that we're going to read today. Uh, We have a story of unfairness, but it's a story of unfair generosity, and in, in figuring out this story and looking at it, we're going to see how we ought to respond appropriately to God's unfair generosity. And to look at it, I've just got two simple points for us this afternoon. Point number one, it's not fair. Point number two, thank God it's not fair. Let's jump into point number one, it's not fair. 
to fill you in a bit of the backstory so you understand this passage a little bit more, we're in Matthew chapter 20. Just before it comes Matthew chapter 19. And in that story, Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem. He's making his way towards the cross where he's going to die in our place and for our sins to save the world. And a young man comes up to him, a rich man, we're told, and says, you know, how can I have eternal life? And uh, he wants to know what are the good things he has to do to receive eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you've got to do this and that. He says, oh, I've done this and that. And then Jesus challenges him at the core level. And he says to him, look, if you, want to, if you want eternal life, here's what you have to do. And it wasn't a universal command. It was just for this guy. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. And we're told, sadly, and it's one of the saddest verses, I believe, in that Bible, that the young rich man walked away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. He looked like he was, you know, the top of the world. He was a righteous man. He was a rich man, but he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing to trade it in to become a follower of Jesus. He wasn't willing to pay that price to get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to warn the disciples and says, Be warned, riches, though they can be a blessing, can be a great danger. And then Peter, who often speaks on behalf of the disciples, and I sort of resonate with Peter because he seems to just say dumb things and, you know, big-hearted things, but just not the right thing. And Peter says, well, Jesus, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So he's thinking, look, I've given everything away. I'm not like the rich young man. What blessing will we have? And Jesus, surprisingly, doesn't clip him over the back of the head. He actually just turns to Peter and says, no, no, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to have you know, lands and fields and blessing. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be sitting on thrones, he says to the 12 disciples. It's a remarkable blessing. But then he ends this statement of reward with this phrase that's going to come up again in our story, which is why I was telling you the backstory. Jesus says, Many who are first will be last, and the last first. You may have heard that line before. You may have wondered, what does that actually mean? mean? Well, to understand what that actually means, Jesus then tells a story. Jesus was a great preacher, and he loved to tell stories, and he told stories that drew us in to teach a point and often undo us at the same time. And like every good storyteller, Jesus' stories often have a clear orientation, complication, Resolution. If you remember year five when you did that, um, or maybe year seven at school. So first, let's look at the story and look at the orientation, Jesus setting the scene. And we're just going to walk our way through the story in the first point here. Matthew 20, verse 1 through 7. I'm just going to comment as we go through. For, so this is, many last will be first, the first will be last. For, the kingdom of heaven that is where God rules and reigns, where his salvation is, is like this. It's like a master of a house, a lord, so to speak, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So he's got this great, you know, land, he's got agriculturalists, he's got a wine crop going, and it's harvest time, he needs, he needs laborers. So he goes down, and in those days, you know, you didn't have seek.com.au, you just had the market, you'd walk down the market, anyone who didn't have a job that day would present themselves and say, hey, look, hire me, I'll, I'll work for the day. Uh, and so the, the master goes down to the market, verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, so that's you know, a day's wage, um, minimum wage, he sent them into his vineyard. 
And then the story gets interesting. It keeps on going. Verse 3, And going about the third hour, so that's 9 a.m. approximately, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So the first group, they agreed to a day's wage. The second group, he just says, whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is fair, I'll give you. Verse 5, so they went. Going out again, the sixth hour and the ninth hour, so that's 12 p.m., 3 p.m., he did the same. He goes back into the marketplace. There's more people that still haven't been hired. And he says, come on, let's go. Let's go work. And he says, presumably, the same thing. I'll pay you what is fair. And then verse 6, at about the 11th hour, you may, you know, you've probably heard that expression, the 11th hour it was delivered. Well, the 11th hour in Hebrew time was 5 p.m. The day normally clocked off at 6 p.m. You'd work from sunup to sundown. So just before sundown, the master of the house goes down again to the labor market and calls people in to work. And look what he says. He went and found others standing and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. You've got to think about these guys. They, they are day laborers uh, in a peasant economy. If they don't get work that day, they don't eat. Their children don't eat. Their family doesn't eat. It's 5 p.m. They've waited the whole day. And yet this master, in his generosity, hires these guys that no one else wanted to hire. It's gone through everyone else in the whole market, and it comes to the last, the stragglers. He says, you can go and work as well. And that brings in the tension of the story. We move now to the complication, verses 8 through 12. And when evening came, so the sun's setting, um, and in Israelite culture, it was required in the law of Moses that they would pay their laborers on the day, that you wouldn't hold back pay, that you would give them their daily wage at the end of the day so they could go and buy the food. The owner of the vineyard, the Lord, said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. And then he's setting up this story so well. Beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received... A denarius. They received the full day's pay, even though they'd only worked one hour. Now, you can imagine what the guys who were working from 6 a.m. are thinking. thinking Whoa, if those guys, if the stragglers got a whole day's pay, what are we going to get? Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. What, was their, what did they say? It's not fair. Verse 12, they said this. These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So they just feel the tension in the air. They agreed to the denarius, but now, oh, now the fairness is, is not there. Now they've got the, the sense that they've been cheated. They're looking on, they've got blisters on their hands, they've burned back, they've sweated all day, they've worked, they've labored. And these, you know, <laughs> lazy guys have come in right at the end of the day and received exactly the same pay. And we resonate, I think, probably with these workers, at least I do. It feels unfair. 
Uh, we would cry out probably with them. We would maybe go on a strike, organize a labor movement, whatever. They're crying out and they have that same heart cry that we have. It's not fair. Jesus is a master storyteller. He draws us into the story. He gets us all riled up where we're all on the side of these 6 a.m.ers thinking, yeah, come on, that's not fair. So what's the resolution? Well, verses 13 to 16, the resolution. And note the, some of the choice words here. But he, that is the master of the house, the Lord, said to one of them. So there's a group of them, but now Jesus singles this story out and it's like there's just a one-on-one interaction. He individualizes it so that no one can escape. And look at what he says first. Friend. Now these are day laborers. He's a Lord. Friend. I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree to work with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first and the first last. Jesus gives the argument for this master of the house, why it's not fair. They think it's unfair. He says, it's, it's not unfair. You agreed for a denarius. This is what you get. He also establishes, I'm the Lord of the house. Am I not allowed to do with my money what I choose to do? Am I not allowed to give freely away to people who don't deserve it more than they deserve? Can I not be unfairly generous? And he asks them, do you begrudge my generosity? He sees into their heart and sees that, well, yeah, they know it's fair, but it feels unfair because they're getting exactly what I got but didn't have to work. He's looking into their soul and saying, do you begrudge my generosity? Do you want me to not be generous? Do you want me to not bless these people? Is that what you would prefer? And he highlights two foundational principles, and it's going to be important for later on, that the master is sovereign and in control, and he is generous. In fact, he is unfairly generous out of his free choice. So, Jesus tells a story to explain what this statement, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, means. He gives us this setup, brings in the tension, gives us a resolution, deals with the natural attitude of the human heart, but still you're probably thinking, okay, but what's the point of the story? How are we meant to react and respond when others are blessed and benefited unfairly or in a way that we don't think is fair? That leads us to point number two, where we're going to look at what it all means. Point number two is this, thank God it's not fair. When we figure out what the Bible is actually saying, we we can't just go straight from what what it says there and just jump all the way into our situation today. We can't just moralize or allegorize every story. The best way to understand what the Bible is teaching us is to first ask the question, what did it mean for the original hearers of the story? What were they meant to take out of it? It's an important principle for understanding the Bible. Because this story is not about labor laws, economic management, capitalism or communism. It's not ultimately even about how we're meant to react, just as normal human beings in conversations and in unfair situations. 
This story is actually far deeper. And then surprisingly, this little story actually goes to the very heart of heaven and our relationship to God the Father Almighty. And so I'm excited to unpack three points of application, three things we're meant to take away from this story today. Firstly, it teaches us to joyfully welcome any and all who would follow Jesus. This, this story was told to the first disciples and to anyone who follows Christ since to joyfully welcome any and all who follow Jesus Christ. You see, the, the vineyard in this story represents God's kingdom, the, the people that have followed Christ and, and love God and are in God's kingdom. The master represents God the Father. The workers are anyone who is joined Jesus Christ. They become a disciple or they're an Old Testament saint of old. And any of us now who are Christians. So that's the picture. It's, it's the kingdom where God rules and reigns, where his people dwell. The work that they're doing is uh, living here for Jesus now. Denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him. Being willing to live and serve and give your life away to God and others, like what we prayed for the children this, morning, uh, this afternoon. The work includes missing out on holidays and hobbies and promotions to suffer, to serve your days and hours, whether you're a 6 a.m. or a 5 p.m. And to the disciples, Jesus here is specifically saying, and it applies to us too, but mainly to the disciples, he's saying this, guys, you're the 6 a.m. crew. You are first. You followed me first. You've entered the master's workforce. You are the kingdom workers. You will work the hardest. You will suffer the most. The sun will beat on your back. Your hands will be calloused. But prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts because there will be many who will come after you. Some might be hard workers, you know, 9 a.m., 12 p.m. But then there are going to be some who pop in at quitting time. Some who even right now are persecuting you. Some who are your enemies and some who you despise. Like tax collectors and Gentiles and sinners. And he's preparing their hearts to welcome those and any and all in. He's preparing them by telling them this. Know this, disciples of Jesus Christ. At the end, you will all receive the same reward. You will all receive the same reward. Whether you came in at 6 a.m. or 5 p.m., the reward is the same. You will receive eternal life. The master of the house, God the Father, will bless you with the same wage. And you will all be in. And you'll be in the kingdom, in the vineyard, enjoying the good master's care. And so he's saying to the disciples and to us, don't grumble, crying out the late like the laborers. It's not fair. Don't begrudge his generosity to unworthy workers, having a stingy eye, as the original says. But instead, here's how our natural reaction ought to be when anyone and all come into the kingdom and become a Christian. We are to marvel and rejoice in God's unfair generosity to unworthy workers. We're to marvel and rejoice at God's unfair generosity to unworthy workers. So how do you rejoice when it feels unfair? How do you rejoice when, you know, there's people that join the church and join the kingdom of God, but they seem to not really try that hard or serve that much or do, you know, half as much as you, give half as much as you, yet they still seem to be blessed and rewarded. 
Well, we need to be reminded, and I think Jesus is making this subtle point to the disciples and to all of us who name Christ this afternoon, that we were all out in that market at one point. We were spiritually without work, without hope, and without security. And then the master came out to us while we were totally vulnerable and dependent in that market and called our names. And he welcomed us into his vineyard and rewarded us for the privilege of working for him, even though we were unworthy. See, once we start to think that, you know, we were a pretty good catch for God, that we were, you know, a 6 a.m. crew, uh, he's pretty lucky to have me on our team, we start to get that unfairness when other people don't pull their weight, when other people don't look like they ought to, behave like they ought to. But this story is Jesus preparing the disciples to realize that all of us were out there in that market at one point. All of us needed saving. All of us were vulnerable and dependent, and the Master showed us grace. How is it possible that this master could be so generous? Well, the very next passage, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. This is, you know, it looks easy, like the master is just trotting down and and saying, hey, you, come with me. But the way in which each and every one of us can enter into the kingdom and be rewarded was not easy. It was not free for the master. It was very costly. Look at verses 17 to 19. The very next verses. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that is him, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. The way that the master of the house can welcome any and all into his kingdom is through sending his son to die in our place and for our sins so that he can pay us the denarius that we do not deserve. And so we are to say, thank God it is not fair. Thank God that he is unfairly generous. He gives outrageous blessings to those who do not deserve it. And if you're humble enough to recognize and remember that you are out in that marketplace, then your heart can be softened to welcome any and all who come into God's kingdom, no matter their background, no matter their status, no matter their rich, poor, hardworking, poor working, whatever they are. When you remember who you were and what it cost Christ to welcome you in, then we can go, oh, thank you, God, that you are unfairly generous Unfairly generous to me and unfairly generous to anyone who names Christ. So that's the first point. That's the main point that I think Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. Teaches us to joyfully welcome any and all who would follow him. Secondly, though, I have more good news. It teaches us that any and all who follow Jesus are welcome. So first point We are to welcome any and all who come. Second point, any and all who come are actually welcome. The second part of this story is Jesus leaning into the disciples and, and reminding them, I'm calling these people in to join me. And perhaps other people are listening in, and I know that there's probably many here today who don't yet know Christ. And Jesus is saying to us and to you, it doesn't matter how late you take the call. 
It doesn't matter how unworthy you are to receive it, how unlikely you might be to be a Christian. Jesus is calling any and all to follow him. And the good news is, he will welcome you as you are. He will take you in as you are presently. You don't have to clean yourself up, become better for the labor market, anything like that. He will take you as you are. I'm not sure what your picture is of God. When you, when you think of God, I don't know what comes to mind. Don't have time to survey you all. I'm sure we'd have some good things, some bad things. But Jesus is telling this story to reorient our picture of who God is. He's telling this story so that when we think God, we think, oh, he's a generous master of the house. He wants us to imagine God like this. He calls these workers at 6 a.m., and that's probably all he needed. But God is so generous, and God is so good, that he goes back four more times throughout the day to call more people in. And the later and later he comes into the marketplace, the less and less he needs those people, and the less and less worthy those people are to be hired. Yet he delights in it. And you've got to imagine the master in this story, I think, hatching this plan and thinking, oh, these guys are going to be (laughs) so stoked when I tell them at the end of the day that they get a denarius, that they get the full wage for working one hour. And so when you picture God, you ought to picture him as this kind of God, unfair, not in his justice, but in his generosity. He is unfair to you. If he was to welcome you in, that would be unfair, but unfairly generous. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make yourself better. You just come. And he'll pay you the same reward as if you were like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, or the holiest person you know. He hires the undeserving and the unneeded and the unworthy. He delights to be generous. He loves to lavish his grace. I'm not sure what picture you have of him, but Jesus wants you to have this picture of God, his heavenly Father. He said this earlier in Matthew chapter 9 to those who, you know, didn't really like the riffraff, the unworthy type of people that Jesus was welcoming into his tribe. He said this, well, this is Matthew and then Jesus. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why do your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, that is Jesus, he said, well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I've got good news. If you are someone who feels unworthy, unneeded, God will welcome you if you come to him today. Do you feel like you've blown it? It's it's too late. God will welcome you if you come to him today. It's 5 p.m., and he's in the marketplace saying, you come as well, (laughs) and I'm going to give you it all for free. If you are willing to come and follow him, he will give you the same reward, and he will put you to work too, but he will reward you in the process. And you can think, is that really true? Like if Hitler confessed his sins on his deathbed, or, you know, before he took his own life, would he, would he really have been forgiven for 
all that he'd done? We all don't think we're like Hitler, but the the reality and the surprising nature and even the unfair nature of God's grace is that if he had have done that, God would have welcomed him in to the kingdom of heaven. And we know that because later in Luke's gospel, as Jesus is being crucified, there's two guys crucified on either side. One of them repents and starts to follow Jesus on his deathbed as a convicted criminal. And Jesus says this to him in Luke 23, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. If you think you have to earn your way to God, if you think you've got to be good enough, come to church enough, make it up to him, you've got it wrong. Because that thief couldn't have made it up. (laughs) He didn't have time. He was asphyxiating upon a cross. And yet Jesus said to him, because he came in faith, you'll be with me today in paradise. One commentator says this about this passage. The man converted early in life is not for that reason entitled to better treatment from God than the man who is much older when he experiences the new birth. And I love this, and I included this quote because I love this sentence. For all alike receive the best of treatment. All alike receive the best of treatment. That's the picture we ought to have of God. When you come to God, He loves to give you the best of treatment. You know, you come in with your $50 voucher at Endota, uh, and He gives you the $5,000 package. That's who our God is, unfairly generous. So firstly, it teaches to welcome any and all who come. Secondly, it teaches that any and all who come will be welcomed. But thirdly, there is a warning. It teaches that only those who come will be rewarded. Only those who listen to the call and follow the master to the vineyard will be rewarded. Who gets the reward in the parable? Well, it's not the people that stay in the marketplace if there were any left. We don't want to be deceived or deluded into thinking that God just gives everyone in the whole world the blessing of heaven. That's not what this parable teaches. It teaches that any who respond to the call of God and follow Him will be rewarded. So do not be deceived. Unless you actively follow Jesus and live for Him in this lifetime, you will not receive this unfair generosity. You will receive fair justice for what your sins have committed, for what you have done. If you're holding out for a better offer... If you've got a bit of FOMO, thinking, if I become a Christian, what if I miss out on this? Well, you can hold out, you can hold out. (laughs) But once it's 6 p.m. and the master doesn't come back into the marketplace anymore, you've missed out. You've missed out. And perhaps God brought you here today for a reason. Perhaps you're here to hear this call and to make a decision that today... (laughs) I'm going to listen to that master and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to join the vineyard and I'm going to receive that eternal life. And you can do that today. You don't have to have been preparing for it. You don't have to be a good person. You can just respond today and not miss out on that reward. And I urge you, any and all, to come to Christ today, to come to Christ during our next song and and just commit, I'm going to follow you. I don't know it all. I'm not good enough, but I'll follow you. you. Would you have me in? So, that's why we should thank God it's not fair. We should thank God it's not fair because this parable teaches us to welcome any and all who would follow Jesus. It teaches us that any and all who follow will be welcomed. 
And it's a warning that only those who follow will actually be rewarded. We look around at many injustices in our world and we might cry out, it's not fair. But when we come to the great reality of what the Christian gospel teaches, we should say, thank God it's not fair. Thank God that God doesn't give us what we deserve, but he gives us what we do not deserve, which is his mercy and his grace in Christ. Let us marvel, let us rejoice, and let us reciprocate God's unfair generosity. Let us be the type of people that welcome and and embrace anyone who would call upon Christ. And then let us reciprocate that kind of unfair generosity in the way that we live as bosses, as teachers, as moms, as dads, as whatever you do, you can be like the Father, being unfairly generous to those who don't deserve it in your life. Let us rejoice and marvel in God's unfair generosity to unworthy workers like you and I. Let's pray. Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to see afresh the greatness of the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. That he welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. That he takes the the foolish, the ignorant, the apathetic sinners like you and I. Help us to marvel, O Lord, and rejoice and to be filled with joy that we are rewarded for what we do not deserve that we receive the full day's wage. We get to enter into eternal life. And Lord, we ask that if there are any here that haven't yet responded to your call, that they would respond even now, that they would come to Christ, they would join the vineyard and receive the reward and not miss out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.